Hello and welcome to VR Download. I'm Ian Hamilton, and in case you're new here, we're recording this from virtual reality. I'm wearing Quest 2 using hand tracking and meta avatars, and I'm joined by my colleague, David Heaney. We're physically separated by thousands of miles, but on Tuesdays around 10 a.m. Pacific, we talk in front of a live YouTube audience about the future of personal computing. Heaney, what do we have today? So today we're going to talk about PlayStation VR 2's past review and virtual boundary system that Sony showed off today. We're going to talk about that bombshell finding last week that Pico has filed regulatory filings for a Pico 4 and Pico 4 Pro. And we'll talk about whether that could potentially arrive before Quest 3. And finally, we'll talk about the big news of today that's just dropped half an hour ago that the Quest 2 price is increasing by $100, not decreasing, but increasing by $100. This system that we've seen from PlayStation VR, Heaney, what can we discern from this in comparison to what Meta is doing and what other competitors might be doing? Yeah, so we've known for a while that PlayStation VR 2 will have inside-out tracking and that it has cameras placed in very similar positions to what you see in a Quest or a Quest 2. And so now Sony showed off what that looks like through the headset. So just like on Quest and Quest 2, it is a black and white pass-through view. One of the interesting things I noted here is that Sony has a button on the headset you can press to toggle the pass-through on and off. I think that's great. I think that's something every headset should have to be able to just instantly see the real world like that. And obviously, this is something you can toggle on while you're in-game through the menu as well. And the the boundary system itself, drawing it and getting near to it, looks almost identical to what you would see now on all the major headsets, be it Quest or Pico or HTC or any of those headsets. But an interesting note that we've seen is that it actually appears to somehow scan in the room around you. Now, it doesn't look like this is a fully automatic guardian system. To to me, what it looks like this is doing is trying to find the floor area so that this is the area where it's valid to draw a boundary. Though we'll need to see more details as to whether this geometry scanned in shows up in the similar way that you see Space Sense on Quest. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the couch in particular being a potential focal point of most living rooms, most play spaces. They know that the PS5 is going to be set up in a play space. They've got the USB-C port on the front of that PS5, and that's going to be running out to this headset. And marking out the seating locations in your play space is a pretty fundamental thing. I was thinking about it, Heaney, where we do have to right now set up a standing or room scale play spaces. But ideally, right, I should be able to automatically shift between both of those pretty effectively without spending too much time or even pulling the headset off, right? Yeah, dude, that is a good question as to whether there will be a specific seated mode for PlayStation VR 2 where maybe you don't even have to go through this setup. How does this work when you're then sitting back on that couch and the boundary would normally be there? Hopefully there will be something very similar to what you see on Quest, where it is just a difference between a stationary mode. But yeah, fascinated to see what Sony shows further here. They're obviously still teasing this headset bit by bit. It's funny to me that they're actually calling this see-through view, where whereas in the industry in general, we would call see-through you know, what you have on AR glasses, where you look through real glass to the real world, and we call this pass-through. So just another one of those instances where a company's specific marketing name for their feature gets actually confusing when you're comparing it to the technical terms. The The last thing I'd note there is that on the blog post, there is this quote, the road to launch for PlayStation VR 2 is in full swing. That's the only hint we got there at when this might arrive. The, the rumors and sources that we've seen in the past still suggest the first half of 2023. But if you were an optimist and you hadn't seen any of those, you could easily believe from a phrase like that that it's going to be here in time for Christmas. Yeah, very interesting and big big relief sort of for Sony watchers to actually finally see this system coming out of Sony, right? It was kind of assumed to be there, but to actually see it for the first time shows that Sony is serious in a way that, you know, the hardware was really, really cool to see, but now we're starting to just begin to get a sense of what you can actually do with this system. There's a lot of things that Sony still has to reveal there, don't they? Are we ready to move on to the next subject or any comments you want to respond to first? Uh, Yeah, I think we can talk about Pico. 
Yeah, so Pico 4 and Pico 4 Pro were found in FCC filings. This originally was found by a protocol over there. And there are a few details that can be found about this headset from those FCC filings. Heaney, did you get a chance to look at these as well? And did you see anything interesting? Yeah, I did. I guess a few interesting things. We have this picture here. And the problem is without scale, I'm not being able to see another angle. It's very impossible to make any kind of solid determination. But these, if the device is roughly the same size as the previous one, these lenses do look to be larger. And if you do look at the filing that appears to show a diagram from the top, it does appear to be a lot flatter. So a question that a lot of people have been asking is, is this headset going to have pancake lenses to, to allow it to have a slimmer form factor? And will, And given that what we see in this that's most interesting is one is called Pico 4 Pro and another Pico 4. That's a direct quote. And it says, both are identical except additional eye tracking and face tracking function for Pico 4 Pro. So whereas Meta seems to be going with this strategy where the Quest 2 and the Quest Pro are entirely different devices with a different design and different form factor and, and completely different features in many ways, Pico looks like they're going for a variant of their base device. So you'll have this Pico 4 and then a Pro version that has the eye and face tracking. That obviously opens the question, what else does the do both models have? Pancake lenses potentially, but are we also going to see color pass-through? Are we going to see a depth sensor for high-quality mixed reality? Are we going to see controllers with no tracking rings? We don't know any of these answers yet, but based on this coming to be so soon and based on the fact that the confidentiality expiry date on this is january 2023 we could be facing a scenario here where pico owned by ByteDance, the owner of tiktok will arrive at next generation standalone vr before meta because there's no indication that there is a quest 3 coming anytime soon and meta looks to be mostly focused on their launch of quest pro yeah, I'm glad you saw the same things I sort of did looking at these diagrams, but it's obviously super inconclusive at this point to make any assumptions. But we will move into our last bit of news here pretty soon. And the price difference between the Quest 2 and the Quest Pro is potentially so big that there could be multiple categories of devices in between those two price price extremes if there's like a pro at a multi-thousand dollar device and quest 2 is still at this low end couple hundred dollar device there's a large range in between where a lot of other standalone products can go that only have some of the features that we see in the quest pro isn't that right well i would push back there and say the quest is now out of the couple hundred dollars territory 400 or 500 dollars is is more than that i'd say you're talking that already kind of does push into a mid-range pricing tier. So the, the gap between that and Cambria, whether it's you know, Quest Pro, whether it be 1000 or 1200 or 1500 or wherever it lands, is, is narrowing. And I really wonder how aggressive Pico is going to be in their pricing for this product. Because if Meta is still on a last-generation product, Quest 2, that is priced at now $400 and this thing comes along and it's from a hardware perspective superior because the Pico 3 is already essentially identical to Quest 2 in a hardware perspective. So this only has one way to go. Meta could be for the first time, the one that is not playing in first in the VR market, the one that isn't kind of out there as quickly as possible with the newest stuff in the mainstream. They could be playing catch up. And you really have to wonder how these two pieces of news intermesh with each other. What? How does Meta respond if Pico does come out with a headset that is also $400 or $500, but pushes into new features and better displays and perhaps even a better processor? Who knows? Well, yeah, let's move on to that last bit of news and just give that context here as we move on with this discussion. But Meta did just announce right as we were coming to the studio. We didn't broadcast at our normal time because the news was announcing at the exact same time as our show. We needed to get it out there a little bit. But the price of the Quest 2, the baseline price of a 128 gigabyte Quest 2, Meta Quest 2, is going from 299 to 399 Now, there's an interesting, it's funny almost, you can now 
call the Oculus Quest 2 the device that was originally $299, and now MetaQuest 2 is the price that's is the device that's $399. And all that's really changed is the, the name. Over the generation evolution of Quest 2, it did they did bump the storage from 64 to 128, but they did sell the 128 for a while under both Oculus Quest 2 branding and at 299, right, Heaney? Yeah, they they did. So it's really hard to interpret what this news means in the long term. So obviously this is going to have an impact on sales. Increasing the price by $100 is going to mean that less people are able to afford this. But I actually see this as being less about the current short-term problems of, you know, Meta's costs increasing and inflation and more about making this a sustainable long-term product line. We talked last week and we've talked many times on this show of what exact features will Meta bring from Quest Pro to Quest 3 while still keeping the price at $300. Now that becomes a much more a much different question in that they don't have to. I think this is more about the fact that Quest 3 is going to have to cost $400 than it is about really making Quest 2's generation have to increase in price. So what we can expect is that Meta still tries to make these things affordable at around $400, but without trying to cut everything they possibly can, there is still going to be space for the kinds of features that they want to introduce in the coming years. Hello to Clutch. Hello, Bicycle. Hi, Guy Godin, the creator of Virtual Desktop in our comments. And hi, sadly, it's Bradley. Thank you all for tuning in, everyone else. We've got a lot of discussion forming today because I think people are still trying to wrap their heads around what is going on with that price increase. The other news here is that they are going to pack in Beat Saber with the purchase of Quest 2 from August 1st to December 31st of this year. That is the prime selling season for Quest devices. And during that entire period, if you go and get the headset, you will be able to activate Beat Saber on your account for free. And that, of course, opens up all the DLC content for them to sort of get people into a little bit faster right from the start of DLC, uh, of Beat Saber. So if you get the base game for free, now there's going to be a lot more people that even didn't buy that game from the outset, even though it's the most popular game there is. You're going to get a lot of new people into Beat Saber exploring that DLC. And Echo Arena from another meta-owned studio is already a free-to-play sport on Quest headsets. It even runs on PC as well. You can play cross-play that way. I think there's more Meta could do if they need to with pack-in content, but they don't need to yet is the way I'm seeing it, Heaney. Yeah, that was their strategy for a lot of the original Oculus Rift era. They would just pack in, you know, you would get multiple $30 or $40 worth games. So they do have, obviously, if Pico comes along with a Pico 4 and it's the point where it is, you know, a better device at a similar price with, you know, a content library that's building up and obviously it has the new features that Quest 2 simply can't deliver. That is obviously a strategy we would expect Meta to fall back on in just bundling more and more content or even, you know, a 50 or $100 Oculus store tag. But it does seem like if Pico 4 will deliver competition, this is the worst possible time for an increase like this to happen. Yeah, well, of course, timing is kind of key here to everything, right? I noticed in the documents for the Pico 4, it said that the confidentiality time lifted on some of that information in their FCC filings at the start of next year. But there's no way we can determine any kind of release timing from from that sort of confidentiality timing. What we can say is we reported back when the Pico Neo 3 Link launched their current consumer headset that they describe as a beta test, that they would offer a 30% discount for any future model, for anyone that bought it, if the future model launched within six months. So if, you know, if that was planned at the time, I don't think that it's a coincidence to say that, you know, they they talked about a future model launching within six months, and now we have an FCC regulatory filing for a future model that gives even its name and details. If they're able to launch pre-orders for this thing in November and or December, or even as early as October, and then ship it in at the start of the year, that means that those people who've already purchased get in on that deal. And it would be very odd to me to describe a deal like that and then happen to launch after it. So I really do think we could be in for this thing launching at the very start of next year. 
Well, so that was one thing I did note in one of my stories, and I'll note it for our audience here. For those who maybe didn't see the last couple of years, maybe they came into the Quest ecosystem at a different time. But for a lot of the periods after Christmas, Quest goes out of stock for a week's days, weeks, or even months at a time. The original Quest had that issue. Obviously, they upped the amount of stock that they were purchasing over time for these headsets. But I do think there is a good possibility that supply is still going to be outstripped by demand, even at this new price going through the holiday season. And even if there was another competing headset on the market this year, it's going to be a bummer if we get into sort of the November to December timeframe and all new standalone headsets you order in that price range are like shipping in February and March. Like that, that is something that could happen, I suppose. I, I, I seem to, I may be remembering wrong, but I don't think there were any huge stock issues last year around uh, December weather. The Quest 2 seemed to be mostly available then. And, you know, that is the advantage of these much more manufacturable designs. The Quest 1 had this kind of very complicated design with fabric and dual OLED panels and uh, manual lens separation adjustment, sorry, precise lens separation adjustment. This is a much more simple design, just as the Neo 3 Link is. And I expect with the likes of the Pico 4, they're probably not going to go for any, you know, ridiculous hard to manufacture ideas either. So I hopefully, I again, this could be jinxing it, but I would hope that we're out of the era of these mass market VR headsets being too difficult to purchase if you want one. And with the increase of $100, that's going to reduce demand to the point where I'd say supply will be not at all the issue this this Christmas, at least. Yeah, that makes sense. I, we don't know what else is in store content-wise. There's still, you know, we've got a picture of some of the upcoming titles, but we don't know really what kind of an impact they're going to have, especially if they don't launch simultaneously on multiple platforms. There's lots of really cool upcoming games and release dates can shift as we get closer to those actual launch dates. And that could have a big effect as time goes on. I noticed there was one comment, a a good question here, I thought from Adam, I wanted to address. Let me find it here. Is this price increase in response to not having access to our Facebook data anymore? Is that worth $100 per user? I think that is an obvious and interesting question. And I put uh, a version of that to Meta to ask them whether they were still pursuing ads as an avenue for Meta headsets. And the answer, I'm going to paraphrase it, it wasn't even worth really remembering at this moment. Uh, you know, it was a non-answer, right? They're just, they have nothing else to say at this moment. But I think, I would imagine it is the same situation it has been for them, right? They're, I don't see them not leveraging that eventually, Heaney. Yeah, they're, they're, they've talked about They've openly talked about in the past how they do see advertising as part of their long-term revenue model. To, to directly answer the question, though, no, uh, not having your Facebook data is not worth a hundred dollars. You can that's quite obvious because if if every user was worth a hundred dollars, Facebook's revenue would be on the order of three hundred billion dollars. But it's probably worth something, and it probably factors into the long-term pricing where they have they now no longer have a real identity definitely associated with your device. So they cannot kind of focus on that being something they can guarantee from each user. But I I do think this was probably more about keep making sure that over time they can actually make this a sustainable business in the face of the current macroeconomic climate where we have inflation and rising costs across the supply chain where the advertisers that par the revenue of Facebook and Google and those kind of companies are spending less because two factors a they can make less products so they you know there's no point in advertising what you can't sell and b people are buying less products because as the cost of living increases they have less disposable income those factors kind of are probably what's more at the helm of this as well as what we talked about earlier where they want to make sure that they can put more and more tech into future quests and that's harder and harder to do at 300 dollars in an inflationary period we should talk about the shift off of controllers that will happen and maybe address sort of the evolution that might happen there. But I do want to find, I went in my email and double checked. So my question to Meta was, is Meta still pursuing tools for developers to put ads in their games that they can get paid for? 
The answer was, we're continuing to invest in new ways to add value for people and businesses in VR. So a pretty, you know, a non-answer there, but I don't see any reason why they wouldn't get there eventually. There is still a lot to grasp about the meta account switchover that, you know, I, I said it before on the show, I do intend to delete my Facebook account and I'll see what it's like to have a meta account after that and see what I don't have because I don't have access to Facebook. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people in the kind of VR industry that are in our bucket where you really only have Facebook to be able to use Quest 2. And then once that requirement goes, that can just be deleted. But I doubt that those are the kind of people who were exactly clicking on many Facebook ads anyway. So there's probably not a huge financial cost there. Um, the one thing I would say about this price increase in general is that this was probably going to be Quest 2's final year anyway. And just as the majority of people who were going to get a Quest 2 have probably already purchased one. And then if anyone who is purchasing a Quest 2 in its final year would be someone who is then not, not getting access to any Quest 3 exclusives that happen in future when those launch. So this isn't really as significant as had this been happening much earlier in Quest 2's cycle or if it had been happening at the start of another headset cycle. So this kind of actually gives time for that price expectation to become normalized in time for Quest 3. And obviously, as we know from the from the leaked memo and from everything coming out, Meta's primary focus right now is on Quest Pro. They're trying to forge out this new market and bring this as a higher-end experience to you know prosumers and enterprise and really build out that remote work use case. Well, yeah. Let's talk about that for a second here, because there is a bit of news. I wasn't able to get onto the site today, but it did just happen right before we came in here. Immersed announced they're going to free pricing for their social work tools. So you can have multiple displays in VR, I believe from Immersed, and that's just the beginning of where they're going next. And I'm seeing Guy Godin, the creator of Virtual Desktop, in our comments saying, that he has been waiting to delete his Facebook account as well. I think we will try to, I, I will probably hold a delete Facebook party when <laughs> the time comes around. I'm still going to use the social features in a quest, Heaney, but I haven't got a good picture of how that's going to work going forward. I just tried to get a walkabout mini golf session going in a party on a quest and had someone in my horizon home, but the flow of just getting people into the right course in the right party still seems overly convoluted on a Quest headset. Yeah, I think the problem is, unlike on some consoles, the social technology, the social API on Quest is optional. So I can't recall whether Walkabout Minigolf uses it, but I don't think it does because it has its own cross-platform system of joining. So, you know, that puts Meta in a difficult situation of, do you force developers to use your multiplayer API, which then means those developers have to kind of maintain two separate systems, one for Quest and one for cross-platform play? Or do you continue to just let it happen now where developers can optionally integrate this and then you get this cost of the complexity of actually going between a party and each of these games becomes more difficult. That's a hard balance to make for Meta. And whichever choice they pick, there are significant trade-offs there. Uh, but as to how it'll work without a Facebook account, it'll be you know much the same as your Steam friends or your Xbox friends, or your PlayStation friends. You have this system of following people on their VR profile that is unconnected in any way to their social profile, which is how it always should have been, obviously. And Meta is finally coming to realize that. Andrew asking this fundamental question of, do you know if Horizon Home or has or will have moderators? It's a very valid question because they just added a mature content policy for Horizon Worlds. So those are the places you can go into or create in Horizon Worlds. And there's uh, basically an 18 plus tag you have to apply to those worlds now uh, in order to note that they might have mature content in them uh, going forward. You know, so all existing worlds are going to get hit with that tag. And then uh, basically you're going to have to do it when you create a new world going forward. And uh, they marked out both content that is not allowed anywhere inside of Horizon Worlds, as well as content that is allowed only in these adult places. 
And uh, that's setting up basically for there to be uh, a lot of teenagers allowed in some places of Horizon Worlds, uh, adults only allowed in other places, and that's backed by whatever age you put inside of your meta account when you sign up for it. And then uh, beyond that, there's no discussion yet on moderation of your home space, right? There are certain things I never want to see in someone's home space, but uh, that's still a pretty private uh, location uh, as well, Heaney. Yeah, I think it's like asking if there's going to be moderation of your of your FaceTime calls or your personal, you know, group chats. Almost certainly not. From how Horizon Home works, it's an extension of your party. Everyone who's in it and everyone who has access to it is viewable from the party menu. So it's not at all like Horizon Worlds where it's some sort of social app. So, I mean, obviously we haven't heard the exact words. There is no moderation of Horizon Home from Meta, but we can ask that if you really want. But I would almost certainly know it would be completely unprecedented to have some sort of moderator inside a uh, private conversation like that I, I will note that i mean so when i did that example with walkabout mini golf i was sitting on the bridge of the star trek of the starship enterprise right the next generation enterprise and as soon as my party activated using the meta system or the, the oculus system that home space disappeared and i was left with one of the built-in default uh, meta homes so uh, that is how it, you know, technically works right now. Yeah, hopefully, well, we did hear them hint that there's going to be custom home support in future. But as we talked about before, the issue there is how is copyright going to work there? Is that going to be a marketplace that is moderated by Meta where you can only kind of put up homes that they approve? Or will this be something more open where anyone can even transfer a, a 3D file like you can today and it'll be synced over the network? Those are questions we don't know the answer to, but Meta has hinted that they're only getting started when it comes to Horizon Home and they're going to build out a lot more functionality in the future. Yeah, uh, and that, that SideQuest, that home I installed was via SideQuest, right? And uh, But it, it does go to that question, Heaney, that you and I have talked about from time to time. But like I, I always think of uh, this very specific example of like an old video game from uh, the 1980s or even like a modern game that someone has made in the style of an old game to run on an old system. And like those types of files, people might want to be able to, you know, share to message from one person to another pretty freely. And there's no, uh, there's no system or framework for that sort of sharing right now. Uh, it was actually one question I asked Meta in their switch over to Meta accounts is, do they have an email system? And they don't have an email system yet. Uh, so I, do, I, I am sort of curious what messaging or, or email with the ability to unzip the attachments uh, of that email in space in front of you, what that sort of becomes over time. Yeah, that is fascinating to think. I think uh, spatial is kind of one of the best examples of that I always bring up where you can quite easily bring in content of all kinds, be it two-dimensional or three-dimensional into the shared space. And so spatial, I think you'll likely see Meta and the other platform holders start to copy those ideas, but we're still so far away from that. We're still at the basics where they've only just added the ability to even be in a space with someone in your home. It feels like this all should have happened years ago, but the actual software side of building out the Metaverse seems to be taking a lot longer than the hardware, strangely. Well, we do have, yeah, we have these multiple platforms, right? There's spatial, there's immersed, there's big screen, and they let you view your uh, traditional screens in VR. But we do have this uh, issue of we have multiple screens, right? We've got our phones and our tablets, and we want to see them in VR as well when we're, we're, we're using these headsets. Um, but I think... Yo, Hini, uh, d d d let me ask you just a random question here. Do you have any uh, belief or faith in uh, cryptocurrencies as being a fundamental part of VR going forward? That is a, a huge question, which is almost deserving of a uh, yeah. episode of itself. I, 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 yes, I think it's very obvious that those technologies are going to play a part, but exactly what role they'll play, it's far too early to tell. And the use cases that are being seen today are probably not the use cases that are going to be big in multiple years. 
the, I think the bigger question is how regulators are going to try and impact that because we really haven't seen that happening. And, you know, maybe in less regulated economies like the United States, you'll see a lot of, uh, a lot of flourishing in that space, but it's hard to see the more regulated economies not cracking down on that too quickly before it actually becomes a major consumer use case. Mm, yeah, and that is something we will try to get to over time because yes, Heaney's absolutely right. It's a it's a complex subject, but I do wonder about sort of this this whole idea of uh, working in VR uh, over time. It, you know, are, are people going to spend two grand to three grand to get a VR headset instead of a MacBook Pro, right? Is is a Quest Pro going to actually get purchased instead of laptops? And is it going to be the company purchasing those devices for their employees, or is it the employees purchasing it for themselves? And uh, I, I don't, you know, near term, Heaney, it's so hard to imagine a a headset, a VR headset replacing a a laptop but that is exactly the intention here right well yeah let's be very clear for quest pro they're not trying to replace a macbook or a generic laptop the you know what they've said and what what carmack specifically said is that this target is a chromebook to start off you know the quest pro will not run windows apps it will not run linux apps it will not run mac apps it will run android apps but suboptimally compared to running it on something like a chromebook what it will run and what they are trying to target this is is as a Chromebook, something that can run multiple web apps on virtual monitors floating in front of you. The problem in the short term with the value proposition here is that a Chromebook is 300 or $400 or $500, depending on what kind of one you want to get. And from the signs of it, Cambria is going to be $1,200 or $1,500, some, somewhere in that kind of price range. When we will likely see these devices be able to replace people purchasing a Chromebook in real use cases is when they can deliver the experience of Cambria, high resolution color pass through, great hand tracking, presumably, and a slim form factor for the visor that isn't going to crush your face for hours. When they can deliver that in something like the Quest's pricing at $400, whether that be in Quest 3 or Quest 4 or Quest 5, that's when you really could start to see people replace this. In the shorter term, though, you're right to say that when it comes to enterprises and companies actually purchasing the devices, that will likely happen much sooner because not only for the company is this headset going to be a virtual Chromebook that gives you these multiple monitors in front of you, regardless of where you're traveling. It's also going to be a meeting device. The, the two aspects that VR is being pitched for remote work isn't just this infinite virtual workspace. It's that meetings in VR are simply much more compelling than Zoom grids in front of you. You can really feel like you're in a space with someone and have this shared sense of space in that someone sounds like they're coming to your right if they really are on your right. And you can have someone you know, you can be in a large circle with a group of your team and really have a group conversation in a way that just does not work properly over voice chat without kind of taking your turn in this very unnatural way. If those companies can pitch both of those ideas, then we'll likely see people get headsets purchased by their company in the short term, long before it becomes a widespread consumer use case. And uh, that kind of goes to some of the data privacy uh, requirements that some corporations have, right? So unlinking facebook from these devices may uh may make may offer a pathway for some companies to accept quest pro headsets into their corporate lineup but it's still kind of hard to imagine even at this this point heaney and uh i'm seeing uh Gig Odin, Crater Virtual Desktop, one of the you know devices that is used most predominantly in this world to view virtual screens in VR, and he doesn't see that happening, that replacement uh, of uh, like a MacBook Pro happening. And you're you're absolutely right about comparing a Chromebook to where they're targeting, but I don't know. I think there's this idea that even if they're able to one to one replace a Chromebook at a completely different price with virtual meetings being the selling point, there's still a lot they can add on software wise if you're if you're buying this device over, you know, to last you a couple of years. That's that's the realm I wanted to compare to the MacBook Pro in. You don't 
you don't buy a MacBook Pro, or most people that I think that buy MacBook Pros don't buy a new one annually. So I, I sort of expect that to kind of be the upgrade cycle for high-end headsets too. You're not going to do that annually, I would think. Yeah, I think, you know, if we're going to keep talking about the MacBook Pro, Apple very likely will have the end goal of eventually having its headset line be able to do everything a MacBook can do. And given that they have the, are going to reportedly have the same kind of processor in this headset than is seen in a MacBook, there's a big possibility that this thing could run Mac apps natively. And even if not natively in the short term, they can at least stream it in a way that is completely integrated. No need to use third-party software or fiddle with anything. As long as you're signed in to your Apple account on both of these devices, it could all work seamlessly, just as much of Apple's kind of platform integration. So if Meta is chasing that Chromebook, Apple really could be chasing that MacBook. I see Guy's skepticism, and you know this is going to be one of those things we'll just have to continue to agree to disagree on. I think obviously this is not going to happen in the short term with headsets like the first generation Apple headset and the Quest Pro. The question is, what happens when we're on the third or fourth generation of the Apple headset and Quest Pro? Does that get to the point where it can start to replace these devices? And when you look at the experience, the most people do not have multiple monitors because most people, when they're working on their laptop, are, are hunching over this single 13-inch screen. There's, it's not practical for a lot of people to have these complicated home office setups that a lot of us, you know, myself and people listening likely have. But being able to bring the concept of having multiple large monitors to anyone and portably is a huge selling factor to normal people. There's one thing in particular I've been thinking about, Heaney, about prescription correction. Uh, when we, you know, Kyle always talks about being a bespectacled individual and, uh, Prescription correction is one of these things that right now when you buy like a Ray-Ban uh, glasses, you've got to spend a little extra to get the prescription correction. But uh, as you have a high-end product, right, like that sort of thing kind of needs to be built in to the, to, to the ordering process if you're buy, buying it specifically tuned for yourself. Uh, I, I, always, I wonder with these headsets how they're going to how much they're going to be single use versus usable by everyone in the house over time. But like I, the other end of this Heaney that we sort of touched on a little bit is the low end quest three, right? And you've talked about the possibility that Pico could get there first uh, with some very low prices, but I'm wondering specifically with quest three, do we have the pathway now for them to do a, $200 Quest Air with uh, controllers that track themselves tacked on for $200 and still get a $400 price uh, out of that next generation? It's a, it's a really interesting question. I don't think taking off the controllers is going to get rid of $200 of price. I think you're far more likely to see that be brought in at you know, $100, $300 plus $100 or even maybe $250 plus $150. It's go, it's really going to be more down to the content ecosystem as to when Meta decides to start selling headsets without the controllers. Already with Quest 2, you're starting to get with the hand tracking 2.0. You can see the path to this hand tracking being good enough for daily usage. You can see that if, you know, if they just had this a little bit better with a depth sensor like you have on Quest Pro or even just improvements in future chips and machine learning algorithms, that this is practical. The problem is, can you sell that device as something that has the content library that actually makes up for it? And the answer is no. There just aren't enough apps that have native high-quality support for hand tracking yet. Even Horizon Worlds, for example, you can't sell this headset as, oh, go and visit these these virtual concerts and play in these virtual worlds that we're trying to push, but you actually can't even play that with the device you have. It's just going to be one of those things where over the coming months and years, more and more developers are going to be pushed by Meta to support this. And as the use cases are built out that aren't gaming, like these social applications, like these productivity applications, that's when hand tracking starts to become more and more important to the way people use this device. We have more than 200 people tuning in right now. Thank you all to our new viewers. Please like, comment, subscribe, share the link out to our show, uh, out to more people. And I'm seeing a bunch of uh, comments down here. One from another one from Guy Godin, creator of Virtual Desktop, saying that the screens are still a max of 1080p when covering your entire field of view. It's not anywhere close. We need 4K per eye to start thinking about replacing monitors. 
Well, most if you look at the budget Chromebooks, a lot of them are still 720p or 768p. But I, I definitely agree. We're not saying that Quest Pro is going to come out and replace every use case of laptop. We're just saying that this is where it finally starts. This is where you can start to see a device that has the ability to do this. And yes, the resolution is going to be low to start with. But over time, we know that that's going to get better with every generation, as it always has, as the as displays get more and more dense. We've talked recently when I was at Display Week and was at, when I was at CES, I tried the kind of 3K and 2.5K displays that are likely to come in the in the headsets of the coming years. That's not something that's unsolvable. The, the, the hardest problems, ironically, I think are going to be in software rather than hardware. The hardware will sort itself out, but the software will take a lot of hard and focused work from companies like Meta and Apple to really make this work for people's actual workflows. I one thing I suppose I, I guess we should just get on record or say I, I want to openly you know just mention that my takeaway at least from this one hundred dollar price increase for Quest Two it is a rare example of Meta showing weakness. Uh, they change strategy a lot. We talked about that last week, Heaney, where there's quick shifts in their strategy as they try to zero in on exactly. Uh, what they're going to do, right? Uh, the example we went with last time was Oculus accounts to Facebook accounts to Meta accounts in less than two years' time. Is increasing price uh, just uh, yet another exact example of that? Or is it a show of weakness like I'm suggesting it is, Heaney? Well, I, I yes, obviously it is from the consumer's perspective. It's a massive strategy shift. You go from this, oh, we're trying to get this thing as low price as possible and $300 to, oh, well, now it's up. It's pretty unprecedented. I don't think we've heard of you know any games console or major consumer electronics device of this class being increased in price over time. If anything, it's always done the opposite, just as we saw with the Rift, for example. It constantly came down in price. But I don't think this would be happening in a parallel universe where there wasn't the current macroeconomic climate, where there wasn't this supply chain crisis and inflation and reduce in the advertising spending that powers these companies. So I also don't think this is going to be the only company of Facebook's class that we see this happening from. There's a big possibility that other companies like Google will have to make this these same sort of difficult decisions. Uh, for example, maybe in their budget Pixel line, which actually did go up in price. The Pixel 6a is more expensive than the 5a, for example. Um, and we saw recently that there are memos being viewed by tech journalists at other companies like Google and at Microsoft talking about slowing hiring uh, in the same way that we've seen Meta's. It, it really looks like this isn't something unique to Meta, but something that will happen across the tech industry. Yeah, and Chris Richardson saying it's a show of no longer being subsidized. And that was another question i put to meta as well uh can i can meta say whether quest 2 at 399 is still subsidized below its cost to build and the answer was we can't share details on our costs of production so again you know i i did wonder the same thing i did you know it's obvious to sort of think that uh but it's i i think it's probably i think it may still be subsidized right we know this stuff is uh, extraordinarily expensive to make. And then uh, in their comments, in Meta's comments, they did sort of say, we still think this is the best package by far, uh, the most affordable package by far. The problem with saying whether it's still subsidized is it depends on how you define it. it do you define cost price of a device as all of the components plus what it costs to manufacture plus what it costs to put in the market? Or do you also add the research and development that went into the headset? Do you add the content spending for any content that was funded for Quest 2? Do you, you know, do you add the price of the staffers that are brought in only to support Quest 2? There are so many ways to calculate cost price. But I think if you're going $100 up on a two-year-old device, there is a very high possibility, in my view, that this thing now is being sold with a margin, that this is being sold above what it costs to make, and that this and that any sales from now on are actually even if only slightly so uh, net profitable, because you do see, you know, the, the Neo 3 Link is sold for $400 as well. And there's no direct indication that that's being heavily subsidized. You also see 
you know, people have talked about some of in the comments, some of the devices coming out recently in China that offer very good hardware value at these sort of prices. Uh, so if, and given how Meta has described this as making kind of the future VR lineup sustainable, I'd say 400 probably is actually having a healthy margin. And Guy uh, Godin saying a two-year-old device shouldn't increase in price. The Xbox or PlayStation don't increase by 33% in the middle of the year. And then uh, pointing out uh, in another comment here that the build of materials should be the measure that we're using to compare sort of exactly how it's getting subsidized. And uh, I don't know. Um, that's the very interesting stuff to think about going forward, Heaney. And I think we'll be on this as as far as we can. We're going to try to get the answers to that. What is the build of materials? Uh, but again, like that's that's the thing I was thinking about, Heaney. Right? If if we're right, Heaney, they're they're placing their orders for their next set of components that they want to appeal to a market that's even larger than the Quest Two, and they kind of need to align where they are now with where they want to be in that next generation. And uh, I don't know. It's just what features are we actually going to get at uh, these really affordable, like it, it's it, people are going to be think back on the days when the quest two was $300 as like the good old days uh, almost now. Heaney. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, one of the interesting things to say is as Chris Richardson was pointing out, and I think it was Chris Richardson, the comment moved very quickly. Um, we're forgetting, obviously, that Quest 2 was sold for $100 cheaper than Quest 1. One of the flagship features was that the price was now $100 lower despite being higher resolution and having a more powerful processor. So in a way, this is really just a correction back to what the Quest 1 strategy was. And if you look at what all what many of the reviews said for Quest 2 from many different tech outlets and normal people, it was it's hard to believe that this thing is $300 simply because of what had happened before and what the other headsets in the market are priced at. So from an adoption perspective, I, it's very interesting that in the podcast episode we were talking about last week where uh, the CTO, this chief technology officer of Meta, was interviewing the head of VR devices. They talked about their strategy still being to accelerate the rate of the growth and the rate of adoption of VR. So, to me, if this does indicate that Quest Three is going to cost four hundred dollars, they're saying that they think that even at four hundred dollars, they're suspecting that the Quest Three is going to sell more than the Quest Two. So that suggests that either they're overconfident or the combination in the hardware and spec features of Quest 3 plus the content that they expect to have out for it is, in their view, going to be good enough to go to be worth more than $100. The other thing I, I will note is that around Black Friday, uh, various retailers do often discount the Quest. Uh, the other thing that I, I don't think we covered here is we also confirmed that the refurbished Quests that you buy from the company are increasing in price as well. So those went from I think 249 to 349 for the base level 128 gigabyte quest. So you buy a used device and now it is more than the new device used to be. Um and that's that's kind of rough to think about as well. But we have I've talked in the past, Heaney, about that also being a, a way that they are going to have to evolve. If they are going to keep trying to lead in software and in hardware uh, over time, they also need to kind of like figure out a way to make used devices, uh, you know, reuse those components in some way to lower the price of all of this to, to continue to keep the price low. So. Uh, I, I would imagine them trying to make it appealing over time, more appealing over time to buy a used device and uh, exactly what prices they pick and what payment plans and how they actually get that out is going to be something they're going to evolve over the coming years. Well, I think you have to balance that against the fact that, as I was saying before, when I was talking about this being the last year of Quest 2, most likely, there is the other factor in that if you're selling people a device that will either be last generation or soon be last generation, then the, the time until the date where the content that they would want is exclusive to a future device that they don't have will get shorter and shorter. So then you have less people able to actually purchase the content, which has always been Meta's real focus here. Even if this does have a margin 
let's be clear that there is no indication that Meta is actually expecting to make its profit in VR on the hardware itself for the main Quest line. Maybe for the Quest Pro line, that's the case, but definitely not for the main Quest line. They're still hoping that the majority of this revenue is going to come from that 30% cut they take of every single sale on the Quest store and every DLC and every in-app payment across the Quest. And obviously in the long term, they're going to add in advertising to that mix of revenue but it's still not going to be the hardware itself so if you can if you can get there's no point in selling people a headset that's going to be too obsolete to actually buy the content they want over time and that's why so far we've seen meta once they go to a new generation they cut off the last one and i would expect the same to happen here i would expect that next year when quest 3 comes out or if quest 3 comes out next year i would expect that quest 2 is completely taken off the market if not beforehand even Oh, oh, that's tough, right? We we need to talk to them about that maybe and see if they can provide any guidance because they they have said in the past that Quest 2 is going to have a very long life. They've they've that's that's as specific as they've gotten. But this switchover is a big one and you know, there's millions more people with Quest 2s than people who had Quests, right? Like that's a much much larger platform. And Heaney, you're on record as well as specifically say saying they should do a buyback program how does what you just said fit with the idea that they should do a buyback program for quest 2 at, when they switch over to quest 3 well it, it strengthens it even more because if you have a trade-in program then you mean that people can go from not being able to play the latest titles to being able to because when quest 3 comes out presumably you'll get to the stage just as quest 2 did where there are exclusive games that are only possible on quest 3 in terms of on Meta's own hardware line, obviously it's still possible in other headsets, but that the Quest 2 and the Quest 1 just aren't powerful enough to play. So you either sit in a situation where they have this Quest 2 and they can only purchase the old content, or you let them trade in that hardware to purchase, to get value against the new one, and then you can keep them in the content ecosystem. And if the new headset has a higher uh, sort of retention level because it's you know faster to put on and more comfortable and you have the color pass through you'll get people using it more and more it it just comes back to this fact that what matters isn't how many people own a vr headset what matters is how many people regularly use a vr headset and that's the real north star meta and other companies will be chasing not just having the most units out there and that's another reason why the price factor is not as directly an indicator of vr success as it may seem, because it doesn't matter if people have a headset if they're not actually using it. Hmm, very, very interesting discussion and lots of comments going by. Really interesting discussion this week. I, you know, it's a lot to take in this price difference, right? We didn't, we didn't expect it. You know, Meta has been exactly what you said, Heaney, that comment that we got out of the executives at Meta is exactly in line with what we've known is the case from them for years. They're trying to increase the rate of adoption. And the most obvious, you know, going back to the original acquisition of Oculus to now, they have been steadily dropping the all-in price, chipping away at it. And there's been false starts, right? Going to Oculus Go at 200 and realizing that's actually not the minimum feature set that people want. We've got to go somewhere else. And, And then they went, with 400 at Quest 1, and then arrived at this $300 number uh, with Quest 2, and it seemed uh, it seemed like they were going to be there for multiple years. Suddenly shifting the price that dramatically, you know, makes it seem like there's a, a race here all of a sudden overnight where there wasn't a race. Uh, but is that really the case? I don't know. Well, we just know that the mood at Meta and the the general atmosphere has rapidly changed recently. We've we've seen those leaked memos. We've seen Zuckerberg say openly to, in all hands meetings that he thinks some of his employees don't deserve to be there. So, we're I think some commentators who've written about Zuckerberg in the past and some of the journalists who followed him at the time when he was competing with Google Plus have said that this is. You know, Zuckerberg in quote-unquote war mode, where he has gone from a very comfortable position of this company that's making you know, easy revenue, where they don't really have to worry too much about controlling for costs, and they can spend as much as possible, into a much more difficult economic climate, where they're going to have to now be much more careful about where they spend their money, and 
try to increase revenue against costs as much as possible. This is not the, the economic climate of 2019 anymore. This is a completely different economic environment in 2022. So I think we're going to start uh, moving towards the end of the show here fairly soon, but I'm seeing a lot of great comments still. And Travel and Man's comment in particular, what about the game studio acquisitions? What's happening on that front, helping or hindering these studios? I did kind of uh, mention that briefly earlier. They've got Echo Arena from Ready at Dawn, which is a very popular team sport in VR. Now Beat Saber is bundled free at least for the next few months. That's uh, going to get a lot of people into one of the most comfortable games you can have in VR right at the start, right when they get their headset. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be introducing Beat Saber for the first time. I'm seeing Guy mention in the comments that he's throwing out the number of around 15 million headsets, potentially. I don't know if that's Quest 1 and 2 combined, but I think we know that Quest 1 was just... Uh, a couple million or even one million it wasn't much but by the end of this year there could be i think that's a reasonable number to think about by the end of this year there could potentially be somewhere on the order of like 15 million quest twos but that's that is a complete guess um uh but that's a very big number heaney compared to everything uh meta facebook has done before and you you've said that Facebook leaves customers behind, it would be hard for me to imagine them doing that here. And that's that's kind of where I'm going with this idea, Heaney, where like all this meta all this Quest Pro hardware that we're talking about, the pancake lenses, the additional sensors, face and eye tracking, and knowing that that device is significantly more than eight hundred dollars, why wouldn't, you know, a Quest 3 just exists in the place right above Quest 2, and Quest 2 stay on the market for several years longer. Because it will be outdated technology, because the Snapdragon XR2 chip is from 2020, and with each passing year, Qualcomm is making new chips that, for the same price, have better performance. So by the time Quest by the time Quest 3, by the time Quest 2 gets to three years old, it will be able to do a similar jump in performance as Quest 1 to Quest 2. So when you think about what is really driving the feature set capable of these devices and the software uh, the software features Meta can launch and the games that can actually be possible on this platform, it is that processor. The weakest link of standalone VR is that it runs on a mobile chip. So it's really essential if you have a standalone VR lineup and you're trying to push it forward into the future and get it to a larger and larger market that you get a, a new chip in there to increase those capabilities. So I would the, that's why I think it's incredibly unlikely that we'll see Quest 2 be sold alongside a Quest 3 uh, because it's simply you would simply be leaving so many people with processors that over time would just be getting so old that it would be impossible to bring new features to it. Mm. I, that makes sense. And uh, Daniel Lieber pointing out that, yeah, that many headsets, a lot of them are going to remain paperweights. You know, they're just not literal paperweights. They're still going to operate, but they're just going to sit there collecting dust because we do know that is an issue for just VR in general, that so, a lot of devices that are bought and purchased end up not being used. And I think the the going to a point you said earlier, Heaney, where uh, with Quest 2 and with Quest Pro, if these are two different product lines, there are two different ways to kind of measure usage, right? There's the number of times that people pick up a headset each month, and then there's the average time per per use. And there's a very good chance that Quest Pro is going to move both those numbers forward in significant ways. But going forward, right, like each product line might not move both of those numbers forward to the same degree. Uh, but the, the idea being that by Quest 3, Heaney, we're going to have headsets that are going to be usable for multi-hours at least, right? Yeah, I think, so obviously getting more comfortable headsets that weigh less in the front is going to mean that they can be used for longer. And also when they have color pass-through like Quest Pro will have, being able to see the real world means you don't need to take off the headset as much as possible. You can just quickly toggle color pass-through and with your hands do what you needed to do otherwise and without having to take the headset off. But the other factor that means that Quest Pro will likely have better retention is this charging dock we've seen in the leaked tutorial videos and in the leaked 3D models, where instead of 
having to have this separate charger and use one of your USB-Cs for your, for your Quest 2 and kind of awkwardly position it somewhere unless you buy a aftermarket stand or dock for it. The Quest Pro, it looks like, based on all the leaks we've seen, will come with this charging dock bundled. And you'll just set the headset and controllers down into this dock where they're ready to go as soon as you want. And that reduction in friction, I think, will be one of the biggest factors in VR's retention uh, story. But I do think people exaggerate how low the current retention is. Yes, it was a huge issue in you know the era of Oculus Rift 1 and the HTC Vive and the PlayStation VR. But in the era of standalone headsets, we know, for example, Rec Room has said that there are 3 million monthly active VR users. And that was a few months ago. And they said the majority of them are Quest 2. So you are still seeing millions of people use this every month, at least. And when you look at the kind of uh, popularity of the major DLCs in Beat Saber, when you look at platforms like VR Chat and Horizon and, and all of those, there are the number of people using it is increasing, not decreasing. So yes, over time we'll get headsets that increase retention, but I don't think we're at a nightmare scenario for retention today. Although yes, it's true to say there will be a lot of headsets that are collecting dust. So I'm seeing some comments, people asking about the graphics comparison that we saw for Red Matter 2. Uh, you can go and find an article about that with video showing that graphics comparison. We, fo- we tend to focus on the larger shifts in computing paradigms on the show uh, while we leave games discussion for the games cast usually. Uh, but the... There's a lot of really, really interesting discussion as people are talking about the global prices. And he, uh, Jack uh, saying that of the seven headsets Jack owned, I only have two left. They aren't paperweights. They're regifted to friends and family to make converts. I still think that you're you're still competing. Like that's what a lot of people do, and it makes a lot of sense. But if you're getting a VR headset to someone who's just going to check it out, there's a good chance that that's that headset's going to go. Uh, into the same place that the first headset went, right? Uh, into misuse or in, into unuse, disuse. <laughs> yeah, you um, need to have an actual use case for it. The, the reality is this is still, for the majority of people and the majority of use cases, a games console. And if you're not a gamer, if you're not... In fact, if you're too hardcore of a gamer where you need your games to be kind of AAA graphics and the most modern tech, then you're not going to use this a lot because you're going to be focused on those AAA games unless you're playing some of the PC content. And if you are if you don't really game at all, then you're not going to use this because that's not going to appeal to you. But for the, the, the kind of sweet spot middle ground of the majority of gamers that just like to play casual games and where graphics really isn't the biggest concern, the, the, the same market that would play Nintendo Switch, for example, the, those sort of people are still going to use this. But if you're going to gift this to someone who isn't that kind of person, then obviously it's going to sit there because it just it doesn't do anything that's useful to them yet. Talking about usefulness uh, is a good transition to a couple of the things that we've got uh, coming up. So uh, if you're an HBO Max subscriber uh, starting this week, you'll be able to watch the VR chat-based documentary we met in virtual reality the filmmaker filmed the entire documentary inside of VRChat Virtual Worlds. Uh, I saw the documentary, interviewed the director of the film, and we'll have that here on the Upload VR channel for you to check out as soon as that documentary is streaming for everyone to check out. Uh, very interesting to see uh, a project that was captured entirely inside of VR. And then the other thing I think that is very notable to keep out for is... Uh, Watch for the Walkabout Mini Golf Labyrinth DLC release. That's coming up as well. They've been teasing it on their Twitter account. And that is a multiplayer location you can go to with friends across different headsets and have a meeting or a get together set against the backdrop of, of mini golf. And there is uh, a lot of growth, I think, that can happen in social VR spaces around the type of model that we're seeing with Walkabout Mini Golf. And so that is also coming up as well very soon. And then, Heaney, you and I uh, are going to see each other for the first time, aren't we, Heaney? Can you tell people about that? Yeah, we are going to the SIGGRAPH concert. Uh, concert. It's the SIGGRAPH uh, conference in Vancouver, the 
uh, week after next. So we'll be looking at some of the latest technology that will be arriving in VR and AR devices over the coming three to five to 10 years. Another one of those conferences where you see just some really fascinating cutting edge research. And we'll obviously be reporting on everything we see there, as well as ruining Ian's show intro in that he'll no longer be able to say we have not met in the real physical world because we will have. Yep, it's very important to me that uh, at long last I will confirm that Heaney physically exists in our realm. Um, up until now, I've had to take it on faith that he exists in our realm. So uh, that will be interesting already. to find out. <laughs> he could do it. He could still do it. Uh, yeah, anything else out there that you want to comment on uh, before we close out this week? We've had a very, very big show. Thank you, everyone, for supporting. For, for tuning in we've had almost i think 300 people on this show uh uh you can find us on podcast platforms just search vr download and uh yeah we've got a very busy week very busy couple weeks coming up and we're going to make sure to cover that really in depth here so uh if you've not been a subscriber before please hit that button and, and tune in Meow Mix pointing out that Quest 2 still isn't sold in germany i think that's something we haven't thought about in that will the removal of the meta account Will the removal of the Facebook account requirement mean Quest 2 is sold in Germany again? That is interesting to think about because as far as we're aware, that was the regulator's concern, the forced bundling of social media and a hardware device. Well, yeah, take it even a step further. What's blocking them from going back into China uh, other than it being uh, maybe an ethical problem for Zuckerberg? Uh, you know, before it was... Uh, there was data concerns uh, that were very obvious all the way on down. Uh, could Meta accounts open that up, Pini? Yeah, they'd still have to do the song and dance of having a local subsidiary, even if it's a shell company like Apple does. And then you still have to obviously host all of your, you have to have a separate data system set up so that all of the accounts are still hosted within China. And obviously then they would have to comply with any Chinese regulations and censorship and make all of that data available to the Chinese government. So from a PR perspective, that wouldn't be great. Although Apple seemed to have got away with it for some reason, without no PR loss there. So it's definitely possible Facebook could in future. Well, that's it for us this week. Make sure to t tune in next week, 10 Pacific on Tuesdays. Heaney and I will be back here together for what should be our last episode where I don't know for sure if he's real or not. So thank you so much, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Another big week for VR News. We'll see you next week.